I'd like for you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. I, uh, I realize that uh, we're kind of uh, dealing in some theology that gets a little deep and a little uh, burdensome. But I want you to be able to um, go up to anybody, deal with anybody with regard to salvation by grace through faith and be able to explain why you believe that. And there's no better place for that theology than in the epistle to the Galatians. Now, if we're, we're going to follow through and read verses 23 through 29. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we, no longer, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons, adult sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Alex Haley died a few days ago. Alex Haley wrote that book that, that uh, confronted us all with the problem of slavery in this country. Roots is the name of it. You may not have read the book, but you probably saw the miniseries, one of the most popular TV shows in the history of television. And in this book, he confronted us with slavery in America. There's some people who say that that was a poor depiction of what slavery was like in America, that Alex Haley really just took some incidents, easy for you to say, incidents, <laughs> and he made it appear like that that was the way it was all over the United States. Well, whatever, the life of slavery is something that is totally foreign to us, and we thank God for that. We know that slavery did not begin in the United States. It, it's been here for thousands of years in the world. Slavery was prevalent in the New Testament. Um, Barclay says that at the time of the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves, that over half the people in the, in the known world were chattel property owned by someone else. And if you took a little stroll with the Apostle Paul down any street he visited, three out of every five people you met would be slaves. Incredible, incredible. That three out of five people in the known world were the property of somebody or owned by somebody else. I mean, that's terrible if it's one in five or if it's one in ten. We know very little about slavery, but... The Bible talks often in terms of slavery. 
And the authors of the scripture just assume that we know what they're talking about when they talk about slavery. But these terms with regard to slavery, what that was like, are as foreign to us now as a computer manual would have been to the Apostle Paul or to me, you know, as far as that goes. And so when we come across passages that, that deal with slavery, we need some help. And the starting place of biblical, uh, biblical references to slavery is the fact that man is a slave to sin. Man is bound in slavery to sin. And the Apostle Paul is, is so upset in the book of Galatians because after having, having been liberated from slavery, the bondage of sin, these people were choosing to go back behind bars, back to slavery again. And the Apostle Paul said there's no reason for that. And the beginning place is in verse 22. In verse 22, I don't know, uh, you know, it might be a good idea for you to do like I did. Just circle the word all. All mankind is under sin. Shut up under sin. Now we know that to be a fact. We accept that. But if you were a Jew hearing that, that would be highly offensive. Because the Jew felt that because of his relationship, due to his race and nationality, his heritage, that he wasn't shut up under sin. It was an incredible thought to them. But Paul says that all mankind is shut up in prison to sin. And there is the clanking sound of the prison doors slamming shut. And in that condition, the law continues to sound like the gavel of the judge. Just keeps on pounding. You may have heard that sound, guiltiest charged, you're a sinner, thou shalt not. And all through life there is this law that keeps pounding home that a man is shut up under sin, guiltiest charged, a sinner, and, and thou shalt not. And did you see verse 23 says, before faith came, that is, before faith in Christ came, we were all kept in custody. It's not the first time we've heard that word kept. In fact, in that beautiful passage in the book of Philippians where Paul says, and the peace of God shall keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, he uses the very same word. It's a military term. It's like a guard, a sentinel who walks back and forth keeping guard. And so the Apostle Paul says that all mankind is locked up in jail to sin and the law keeps a sentinel, a guard, watching uh, the prisoner. Now, you don't have to answer out loud unless you, you know, make a confession. And I, you ever been in jail? I mean, you know, not just a visit, but you ever been in jail? I've never been in jail, but I have visited there. And I think that's got to be a, a, a terrible moment when that door shuts and clangs shut. And the hope of getting out is uh, uh, dark and, and, and dismal. I was watching this week as I was thinking about this sermon, I, I saw on a, on, a, on a news segment that in the, one of the prisons in New York, there are about 10 lifetimers that have volunteered to speak to youth groups who are kind of on the verge of trouble. And they bring these young people into these to this prison and these lifetimers talk to them about the conditions there. 
there was this guy standing up talking to these young people. He said, young people, when the door slammed shut on me, I lost all hope. He said, I haven't seen a tree in years. I haven't heard a bird sing in years. He said, the things that I took for granted, I've totally lost forever. He said, it's been years since I helped my wife. It's been years since I helped my child. I'm here for now on. And, and you can just feel the pathos of that statement. Bound under sin. And not only, he says, are we imprisoned to sin, not only are we under a prison sentence, but we have this paidagogos. It's called, it's translated tutor in verse 24. If you have an old translation, a King James translation, the real Bible, the word is schoolmaster. It's really not a schoolmaster, not a teacher. A teacher is a didaskalos, but this is a paidagogos. It's really a boy leader, literally. Uh, as Barclay calls it, he's a, a strict governess in charge of us. It's a person who, who was instructed with the moral supervision of a child, and he possessed the right of exercising discipline. And when they uncovered these old vases of, you know, back in that period of time, there were these uh, representations of the Paidagogos. He, he was a stern-looking man with a stick in his hand. Now Paul is describing the law. He says, first of all, they were shut up in prison without any hope of ever getting out. And we have this tutor with a stick in his hand that wraps us on the knuckles every time we do something wrong or wraps us on the head, is always looking over our shoulders. Now look at verses 23 and 24 because there you have the description of before faith came, before Jesus Christ. And verses 25 through 29 are the days in Christ, the before and the after. And here it is in summation. The before is that we are bound in prison. And we have this law that just keeps reminding us of what we've done. Doesn't tell us how we can, doesn't help us not to be that way, just keeps reminding us how bad we are. And we have this tutor with a stick in his hand, is the law, keeps wrapping us on the knuckles and tapping us on the head, keeps exercising discipline. Those are the days before Christ. But in case you've forgotten, the days after Christ. He said one day somebody came, as it were, with a, with a key and unlocked the door and we were set free. And not only were we free from the prison of the law, but we were free never to go back there again. Now there are several differences that, that are the result of our faith in Christ. The first is that that we are in the family of God. We have a new relationship. Notice what he says in verses 28 and 29, 27, I believe, 26 and 27. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now the Bible knows two kinds of baptism, a wet baptism and a dry baptism. The wet baptism is what we experience tonight, a symbol of one's faith, what one is trusted in for salvation. The dry baptism is like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where 
says we are all baptized by the Holy Spirit. Not baptized by water or with water or in water. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is, word baptized is the Greek word, transliterated Greek word, baptizo, it means to immerse into. He says that we've all who, who have been, placed our faith in Christ have been immersed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. We've been placed into Christ. And when we've been placed into Christ, we've put on Christ. It's a picture of a person taking off the old garment and putting on the new one. But when a person becomes an adult in that ancient world, he takes off the childhood clothes, the knickers and the short trousers, and he puts on the toga of an adult. And so what he's saying is this, is that now because of your faith in Christ, you have been placed into Him with a new lifestyle an identification, Christ-likeness. Secondly, he said, now that we have faith in Christ, we have a new unity. So he says it in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you're one in Christ Jesus. We are one. There is no distinction with regard to race. Jew or Gentile, there's not one closer to God than the other just because of his race. There's no distinction in rank. There's no slave or free man, no special favor. I ran across this quote by John Stott, listen to it. He said, when, when we say Christ abolished these distinctions, we do not mean that they do not exist, but that they, but that they do not matter. They're still there, but they no longer create barriers to fellowship. We recognize each other as equals, as brothers and sisters in Christ. By the grace of God, we will resist the temptation to despise one another or patronize one another. For we know ourselves to be one in Christ. If you think there's no difference, he must be saying this with tongue in cheek, he said, if you think there's no difference between male and female, you reveal a profound ignorance. The point of verse 28 is that in the family of God there is no distinction in fellowship. We are one in Christ. And not only do we have unity and we are born into a family, but he says that we are recipients of the promise. And this is the great kicker. He says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. And what he's saying is that every promise that was given to the Jews, you can claim for yourself. And every promise that came down the pike to Abraham and to Abraham's offspring, is yours who belong to the family, the new Israel, the new family of Abraham, so that everything the Jew can claim, you and I can claim. There are some reasons for praise. Let's look at these and then we'll be through. I think there are three reasons for praise. We can praise the Lord for the prison because the prison closed off all routes of escape. We can praise God for the prison, for it was in the prison 
that we were made to see that our only hope is in Christ. Now, if you can look back and remember uh, the days that you struggled with your own salvation experience, when you came to the end of yourself, my mother used to call it, and you realized that there was no hope for you, that was the very best moment of your life. Because when that moment came, you were able then to turn to the only hope, that's the hope that's in Christ. Andrei Solzhenitsyn, the uh, great Jewish, the great Russian Christian who some of you have heard about and read about, uh, Solzhenitsyn encountered the Lord in a Russian prison after meeting one of the most remarkable godly men he had ever met. It was a Jew by the name of Kornfeld, K-O-R-N-F-E-L-D. And Kornfeld was in this prison because of his faith. And it's a long story. Chuck Colson tells about it in one of his books. I think the book Loving God, he has this story in it. But it was in this prison that he met this Jew by the name of Kornfeld and, and, and came to, to understand Christ. And so Jesus said, It was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirring of good. Gradually it was disclosed to me, the light, separating good and evil, passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between parties either, but right through every human heart, through human heart. And then he made this statement, Blessed prison, blessed God, bless you prison, for bringing me to the end of me. It is no wonder, no accident, that men and women behind bars come to Christ. And some would never have come to Christ were it not for prison. Blessed prison for bringing me to the end of me. Bless you, law, for bringing me to the end of me so I could find Christ. I think we can... We can praise the tutor because the tutor putting its clams on us, making it impossible for us to dodge the issue, keeps slapping us on the hand. Paul says this tutor, this child guide, this boy keeper brings us to Christ. Have you ever noticed that Paul never puts down the law? He praises the law. Because it is through the law that he comes to the end of himself to find Christ. And then, of course, we can praise the Savior. A number of years ago, a little book came to England, Pilgrim's Progress. I mentioned it the other morning. Listen to this statement. I dreamed a dream. Behold a man standing with his back to his own house dressed in rags reading a book with a great burden on his back. As he read the book unable to contain it he broke out in a guilty lamentable cry. What shall I do? What shall I do? I saw him look this way and that way not knowing which way to run. He just stood still then while Pilgrim cried and wept, Evangelist came up to him and said, Why do you weep? 
The man replied, I read in this book that it is appointed unto me to die and after death the judgment. And I'm not ready to do the first and I'm not prepared to do the second. What shall I do to be saved? The evangelist replied, flee from the wrath to come. The man replied, I don't know where to flee. Whither shall I go and how shall I escape? The evangelist said, see yonder light. Just beyond the light is wicker gate, and just beyond the wicker gate is a hill, and on top of the hill is a cross. Now to make the story short, he said, you'll find that the burden will be rolled away there, and you'll find life and salvation. So Christian made his way up the hill to an open sepulcher and an empty cross. And there at the cross, the burden was loosed from his shoulders and rolled into the open sepulcher. And the pilgrim said, Thus far did I come with a burden of sin, and that burden fell from my back. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher. When you get to the end of self, you come to the empty cross and the empty sepulcher to the Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, let it be that we tonight who have never placed our faith in Jesus Christ would come to know Him by faith that the only way, help us to understand that the only way one can ever be reconciled to God is to come to the end of his own effort and by faith claim the finished work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that has brought us to that moment in time where we have turned to Jesus for our salvation. And help us all who live in grace to live lives that are worthy of that mercy, grace. For I pray in Jesus' name.